So as we've said over the last couple of weeks, we've got Jane who will be giving us a talk this morning. But um, before we have her take the stage, um, all of us know that she is uh, Jane, the MTS apprentice. But then that's all we know about her. <laughs> so I guess we're going to try and get to know her a little bit more um, before she jumps into the word. So I've got a few questions for you, Jane. Um, I guess to begin with, you are an MTS apprentice. What, what do you do in the week? What does that look like for you? Um, so yeah, during the week, I meet up with some ladies to read the Bible together. Um, we have staff meetings uh, with the rest of the staff team. Some of them as a pastoral staff team where we're praying through the Connect cards, praying for pastoral issues, um, and thanking God for the work that he's doing in different people's life in, our con like in the congregation of CPE. Um, and then we also have meetings to actually plan for all the other things that happen behind the scene of like Sunday services and um, yeah. And then on my Wednesdays, I go to UQ and um, that's the day where I join their apprentice training with their other, like we have four other apprentices there. Um, so yeah, it's an encouraging time where we get to be in God's word and also be trained in different things, like talking about different topics of what does singleness looks like, look like in ministry, what does the role of women um, in marriage, in, in relationships and singleness in, in, in ministry look like. Um, and then, um, yeah, and then on Fridays I'm involved with um, the youth group. So, yeah, and the women's life group. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, James, yeah you have a lot, a lot on your plate. Um, so, yeah, I think that keeps you busy. But how about outside of... When you do get some time to yourself, well, what do you like to do? Yeah, so I really struggled with finding what do I enjoy, like what do I do to rest? Um, for, like at the beginning of my apprenticeship, but over these last like two years, it's been nice to kind of be like, yeah, actually, I really enjoy rock climbing. Mm. Um, and so a few, a few of us, some of us in the crowd have been rock climbing with me. We all know that top rope is better than bouldering. <laughs> Um, and yeah, or like just being out in God's creation, going for a walk and talk with friends, catching yeah. up with friends. Yeah. Um, watercolours oh, is yeah. also something that I've um, recently oh, tr nice. tried to, I know I enjoy, but yeah. it's just a matter of prioritising the time. So yeah, yeah, do yeah, it. yeah. So um, you can hit Jane up if you want to know more about her. Um, but yeah, I guess, um, I guess, um, you know, this is obviously if you look around, it's all women um, in the hall today. It's not like a you know typical Sunday where we've got a mixture of everybody. It's just the women's event, which is really nice. I've um, been in the women's ministry for, I don't know, like three or four years now. Um, and I always love it when we all come together and we, and we can, you know, look into God's word um, from uh, a, the perspective of women and how we've been created um, equal but different in God's eyes. Um, um, so, yeah, I guess, um, Jane, um, because I think we've got a few ladies here who haven't been to lots of More Than Ruby's events, um, can you share something memorable that you've attended or something that, you know, you've enjoyed about this, mm. these events? Yeah, so I think my first um, More Than Ruby's event was maybe at Ching's place during COVID, and we was um, a small group, uh, like there was a small group of women that were um, live streaming the Equip Women's Conference from, from Sydney, uh, and... Yeah, that was my first exposure, I guess, uh, to um, More Than Rubies. And it was just so encouraging to be like, I've never really, I've never met these women before, but we're all just sharing deeply about how God's been working in our life. 
um, that year we were talking about the resurrection um, and sharing, I think, bits of our testimony of like how long have we actually been a Christian for. Um, so it was just really encouraging to hear pe- other people's stories of how God's been working in their life. Um, so. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. I remember that as well. I think that was um, a really nice, cozy environment that we have. Um, so hopefully, we can do that in the near future. As we, you know, we hope to constantly have and you know continue this women's ministry. Um, yeah, it is our last one for the year, but um, yeah, in the future years to come, maybe we can mix it up a little bit and have little cozy settings at people's houses. Um, but yeah, thanks for sharing. Um, so I guess in preparation for this event. Um, You know, we've been talking about um, what it looks like to have biblical friendships and fellowship, and one of it is getting comfortable with uncomfortable conversations, and we had three scenarios put out to us, um, you know, from our icebreaker, and maybe that's sort of given you a bit of a gauge of, you know, how we tend to approach these conversations or scenarios, so can you tell us why? Why did you decide to do this topic? Yeah, um, uncomfortable conversations. I'm like, they're uncomfortable, so I don't like them. I think I tend towards, sometimes I tend towards a conflict avoidance of like, oh yeah, let's just sweep it under the carpet or let's just let time pass and we'll be all right. Um, But uh, yeah, I think throughout these two years, God's really been teaching me the importance of having hard conversations with people um, because holiness matters. Um, The reality is that we are broken people, um, so we are going to fall and we're going to stumble. Um, but God has also given us each other to help each other in our journey. Um, particularly, I think in my past, there's been some, yeah, there's been hurt in, in different situations, whether that's different friendships or, um, yeah, where there has been like a, different, a difference in expectations for the friendship, which has caused hurt. Um, and I've seen some... In one, one friendship, I've, um, my response was, oh, I'll just leave it, I'll just let go, I'll just give up. Um, but I've also seen the beauty of, oh, okay, this person's now, this friend's now having an uncomfortable conversation with me and we're actually clearing the air and this friendship is actually so much stronger um, than it was before. Uh, so, um, yeah, I think... I often think of if I have a hole in my pants or my flies undone, um, I'd want someone to tell me. <laughs> um, and I'm sure if you guys have been in that situation before, it's like, oh, it's uncomfortable for that moment where you fix, fix up whatever it is. I was like, thank you so much for telling me. So that's how I think about like uncomfortable conversations. Yeah, like as having well. like, like vegetable on your teeth and it's like, why didn't you tell me until I got in the car? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think also, um, yeah, with one of my um, friends who's also doing an MTS apprenticeship, um, we this year we've just, or over the last two years, we've been just sharing in each other's struggles. And one of them has, one of those things has actually just involved us confessing our sin to each other, um, and that has been so freeing um, to to be like acknowledge the oh yeah I'm struggling with jealousy in this area. Oh, I'm comparing myself to this, and I hate that sin in me, um, but oh, you're actually sharing in that as well. Um, And then we can actually pray for each other. So, yeah, Yeah, that's been really good. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Well, how about I pray for all of us before um, Jane comes up to give the talk? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for today. Uh, Lord, we thank you that um, the ladies have gathered today, um, yeah, in in this building, um, despite, um, you know, the rain and the gloominess and how we prefer to be in bed. But we thank you, Lord, for our hearts to want to hear your word, Lord, um, want to grow in godliness and, and holiness um, as we, yeah, spur each other on, encourage 
each other, challenge each other about what it means to have um, to be vulnerable with um, yeah, with our friendships, Father. Um, Lord, we just pray that we put aside anything that might be distracting us uh, from the week, Lord, um, and just be able to have open hearts to hear your word, Lord. And we pray, Lord, the Holy Spirit will work in us, um, um, convicting us of um, any sin that we might have to, um, yeah, confess to you and repent from. Um, Lord, we pray that, um, yeah, we may be, um, I guess, as open as possible in sharing um, any obstacles that we might face, um, you know, in building up walls because we don't want to be vulnerable to people around us so that we can, um, yeah, build friendships that, um, I guess, aren't just on the surface level, but um, really points each other to your word, points us, points, um, us to Christ, Father. Um, so we just thank you. We just lift up this event into your hands, Father. Um, yeah, we just pray also, um, yeah, that we may just um, know that, uh, uncomfortable conversations aren't a situation where it makes us feel awkward, even though it does, but it's only, um, yes, that we may grow in, in spiritual maturity and grow uh, more in holiness, Lord. So we just thank you uh, for Jane as well, uh, for taking the time to prepare uh, the talk. Um, and we just pray that you use her as your mouthpiece, Father. We pray all this in your son's most precious name. Amen. Um, cool. So you guys have been split off into small groups for a reason. Um, so on your handouts, we're actually going to spend some time uh, in our small groups in scripture. Um, so in your groups of four to five, uh, we, or however many people are in your group, we're going to spend, yeah, around 20-ish minutes um, going through the Bible passages that have been listed at the top. Um, to, and we're going to be looking at what these Bible passages say about biblical friendships and fellowship. Uh, so I know that there's a lot there. So we're going to. S- so if I get this group to go th- to start from number one, you guys, um, you guys can start from n- number five. You guys can start from number nine, and then you guys can s- number six. Oh, group six can start from number thirteen, and then just go through as many passages as you can in a, in ascending order from that number as you can. Um, yeah. So. The, the table there is just, yeah, seeing what, do, what, what does um, biblical friendship involve and what do the biblical friendships not involve. And then at the end, um, given all that you've kind of found, I'll give us a little bit of a heads up so that you can then summarise what is the goal of biblical friendships and fellowship. I might bring us all back together-ish there because, um, yeah, I do want to hear um, what, did you guys, what did you guys say? Um, what did these Bible passages say about biblical friendships and fellowship? Shout out what you had. What are some things that it involves and some things that it doesn't involve? You can hear from, let's, we're going to go chronological, like, ascending order. Go on, team one. Uh, it involves, like, multiple people and not just a solo effort. hmm hmm And then someone in this realm... Mm-hmm. Yeah, loving others. Yeah, as as you, um, yeah, yeah, loving others. Yeah. Uh, do you got? Loving with Jesus' love. Loving with Jesus' love. How about Joan? Doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And what are some of the some of the examples or some of the things that you guys listed in some of your columns? What does it maybe this group can go? What does it involve? What does, does yeah? What does biblical friendship involve? Yeah, encouraging each other, forgiving each other. Um, and what does it not involve? Pride. Yeah, judging people. Yeah. So um, we see that biblical friendships are characterized by humility and gentleness, peace and unity, rebuke and encouragement. Um, yeah, the list is massive. There's admonishing each other in God's word, um, and you can see that God is clearly present. Uh, and do you notice how often one another comes up? Um, be devoted to one another, honour one another, spur one another on, bear with each other, serve one another. You see, biblical friendship um, can't happen in isolation. It requires there to be an other. Uh, and not just another random person, Biblical friendship and fellowship requires another believer who also follows Jesus' command in John chapter 13, verse 34. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So when we talk about biblical friendship and fellowship, uh, we're talking about how Jesus' disciples love and relate to one another. So whether you've just met or you've been friends for years, it doesn't matter because we're calling any relationship between sisters in Christ biblical friendship. So from now on, whether you see, whenever you see one another come up in the Bible, you can think biblical friendship. So um, I'm going to pray for our time that we're now going to continue in God's word uh, and ask him to help us see what does biblical friendship, what are one of the things that is involved in biblical friendship, and that's having, having uncomfortable conversations. Dear Lord God, um, we thank you for the command that you've given us to love one another. And we thank you that it is you who first loves us, that enables us to love one another. Uh, I pray, Lord, that you would help us and be present with us this morning. Change us and transform us according to your living and active word uh, so that we can love one another uh, in how we relate to one another. And we pray that you challenge us to have uncomfortable conversations because holiness matters. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, now that we're on the same page about what we mean by biblical friendship, the question is, what's the point of biblical friendship? From, from John chapter 13, Colossians 3, and Hebrews 10 in particular, I think it's clear that the goal of biblical friendships is to grow in holiness as we love God and one another, especially as we anticipate Christ's return. The goal of biblical friendship is to grow in holiness as we love God and one another, especially as we anticipate Christ's return. In Matthew 22, in John chapter 13, 
Jesus describes the first two greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And in Colossians 3, the Apostle Paul reminds his readers that God's chosen people, as God's chosen people, they're to put off sin and to put on holiness. So whatever belongs to the earthly nature, they're to put away and to put on holiness. And we saw that in the passage, there's compassion, humility, all of those characteristics that you listed in the involve, what does biblical friendship involve column. So yeah, we look at Colossians 3, chapter, um, chapter 3, verse 12 to 13, and it says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Growing in holiness involves putting sin to death and putting on the holiness of Jesus Christ. And all of this is to happen as, the, as we see the day of Jesus' return approaching. Because we want to be presented as pure and blameless in the name of Jesus and welcomed into his eternal kingdom, the goal of biblical friendships is to grow in holiness as we love God in one another especially as we anticipate Christ's return. Now, there are many ways that we can work towards this goal, but one of the ways I know that we often avoid is having uncomfortable conversations. I'm sure we've all been in this situation before. You're having lunch with a friend, catching up over some good food, um, and yeah, you're just catching up on life, and then you notice something. Is it a seed? Or is it a bit of seaweed? You're not exactly sure what it is, but it's clear that your friend has a piece of food stuck between her teeth. So what do you do? You think to yourself, should I tell her? Or maybe it'll just dislodge itself. Maybe she'll just keep talking and it'll be fine. And I don't have to make things awkward. I don't want to interrupt what she's saying. So, and I don't want to make anything like awkward either. So maybe I'll just leave it. Do I have something stuck between my teeth? If I were her, I'd want someone to tell me, okay, I'll do it. But so what do I mean by uncomfortable conversations? I'm not just talking about telling someone they've got food stuck between their teeth. I mean conversations that involve telling someone that you were really hurt by something that they did or that what they said was inappropriate, or approaching someone about their decision to pursue an unhealthy relationship, or reminding someone that how they dress can be a stumbling block to others, or confessing how much you struggle with pride, jealousy, or sexual thoughts. These are the conversations we're talking about. They're hard, they're uncomfortable, but they're worth it. You might already agree that these conversations are important, so why do we tend to avoid them then? Let's hear from the floor. So why do we avoid uncomfortable conversations? Shout them out. We get worried about how the other person is going to feel. Yep, we get worried about how other, the other person is going to feel. Mm-hmm. It's awkward. It's awkward. Yeah, we might, we're afraid we might lose that friendship. Yeah, the list of reasons is endless. 
We don't know what to say. We don't want to hurt the other person. We don't want to damage the relationship. And we assume that someone else might talk to them or that our conversation won't make a difference. We excuse ourselves because it's fine. It's no big deal. It's too hard. It's too late. It's not worth the hassle. But friends, if the goal of biblical friendship is to grow in holiness, then we need each other to start having uncomfortable conversations because holiness matters. So, why do we need each other to have uncomfortable conversations? We need each other because sin is deceitful. Come with me to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 to 13. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 to 13. And it says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. In the verses leading up to this, the author of Hebrews quotes Psalm chapter 95, which recounts Israel's failure to enter the promised land because of their unbelief. The psalmist warns readers not to harden their hearts like the Israelites did when they tested and tried God in the wilderness. In response to Israel's rebellion, God declared, they shall never enter my rest. Do you see what the author of Hebrews is doing here? They're using Israel's well-known history as an example and warning of what not to do. They're saying, look at the Israelites. Look at how they grumbled against God. Look at how they doubted him. Look at how they thought they knew better than him. Look at their sin, and not just their sin. Look at the consequence of their sin. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. For the Israelites, this was the promised land of Canaan. But for us, this rest is so much more. It's the rest of eternal life in heaven. So do you see what's at stake here? We're not just talking about securing the ideal tutorial time on our uni sign-on. And we're not just talking about securing the well-paying job the big house, the dream husband either. We're talking about eternal life with God where there will be no more pain or suffering or death. We're talking about eternal life with God, God's eternal rest. Therefore, see to it that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Thankfully, this warning doesn't just stop there because we all know that it's not just as simple as that. Look with me to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13, which continues. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today. By the grace of God, we're given each other. And what are we to do? As long as it's called today, we're to encourage one another so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Sin tells us that we should find our satisfaction in what we do and achieve, that we should find our security in our savings, 
that we should find our significance in our relationships. Sin tells us, it's your life. You live it how you want. Don't worry about what others say. Sin tells you, you know what you're doing and there's nothing wrong with it. This is who you are and you can't change that. It says, other people don't know what they're thinking about. It's okay, you do what you think is right. No one has to know. See how deceiving sin is? See how subtle those lies are? See how easy it is to become blindsided by sin and get caught in a cycle of minimizing, denying, or defending it? The bottom line is that sin lies to us. Sin tells us stuff that's not true, but often we can't see that ourselves. This is why we need each other. This is why we need each other to have uncomfortable conversations so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Left on our own, we can easily fool ourselves into thinking that we've got it all together. But the reality is we are proud and broken people, our hearts are a mess, and we need others to help us realise that. In God's kindness, he has given us each other. But it's no use if we just sit back and watch our friends repeatedly fall into the same sin again and again. That'd be like seeing your neighbor's house on fire and not doing anything about it. We need accountability. We need encouragement. We need each other to honestly point out the sin that blinds us. We need each other to speak up about what they see in our life. We need each other to have uncomfortable conversations because sin lies to us. Today we'll be focusing on one particular type of conversation that is necessary when we see each other's sin in our life. Rebuke. Who here enjoys the thought of being rebuked? (laughs) Or better yet, being the one to rebuke someone else? I don't think so. (laughs) Um, I think it's safe to say that giving and receiving rebuke well doesn't come naturally. Just because something, but just because something's uncomfortable doesn't mean that it shouldn't be done. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't do it. To rebuke someone means to tell someone that what they're doing is wrong. For me, I was rather mischievous growing up, so instead of using my own brain to work out math equations in my Q1 tutorial book sh- worksheets, I cheated by copying answers in the answer book or by using the hidden calculator that was in my bag. When my mum found out, she rebuked me. She told me that cheating on my homework was wrong and that I needed to stop that behaviour. I was rebuked for my wrongdoing. Now, God commands us to rebuke one another. Come with me to Luke Chapter 17, verse 1 to 3. So that's Luke, chapter 17, verse 1 to 3. Jesus said to his disciples, Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. 
So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Jesus warns about the inevitability, temptation, and seriousness of sin. And to be honest, I don't know if he could get any clearer when he commands, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. I think we all know that we can't avoid sin. So this if could almost be replaced with when. When your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. But it doesn't really matter too much whether the passage says if or when, because our response to seeing another Christian sin should be the same. Rebuke them. And what's the purpose of the rebuke? It's not to scold or accuse or verbally beat up somebody for how they failed as a Christian. It's not even just to point out the sinful behaviour and leave them feeling horrible about it. In fact, Galatians 6 highlights that our goal for rebuking someone is to restore them. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. So that's Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. It says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. If restore means to bring back or re-establish, we need to ask the question, what is the sinner being brought back to? Immediately before Galatians 6, Paul describes the conflict between the flesh and the spirit. He warns that those who live in sexual immorality, impurity, idolatry, hatred, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition and drunkenness, will not inherit the kingdom of God. He then goes on to describe the fruit of the Spirit. That is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And how are we to live by the Spirit? And also how to keep in step with the Spirit. He describes how those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. So when Paul says, you who are spiritual should restore the brother and sister caught in a sin, he's saying, you who belong to Christ and are living by the Spirit, you should help your sister who has fallen into sin. You should bring them back to walk in the Spirit and re-establish them as the children of God so that they will inherit the kingdom. Who here watches Better Homes and Gardens? Oh, used to. I used to love watching it. Five thir- I mean, 7.30 on a Friday night, Channel 7, I'd be sitting in front of the TV. My favourite thing about the show was watching them transform a basic and, or worn and broken piece of furniture into a functional work of art. They restored things to their former glory. Similar to how Better Homes and Gardens aims to restore a dingy chair Um, into a bright perch, our God-given responsibility is to rebuke others so that they might return from their sin 
and be restored as children of God. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. And so we do that. Uh, And so as we do that, we need to remember that we're not criticising someone for having different opinions or lifestyle choices to us. We need to remember that it's God's living and active word that forms the basis for what we say. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it says, All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God has given us his word to equip us for every good work, and rebuking is a core part of that. It's the second thing listed after teaching. Out of all the things that could have been listed, rebuking is one of the key purposes for why God gives us the Bible. So, use it. Just like the main purpose of a mirror is to reflect a clear image of whatever's put in front of it, one of the core purposes of God's word is to rebuke God's people. So, use it. As children of God, we are given the responsibility to rebuke our sisters in Christ when we see that they've fallen into sin. We're to help each other recognize and repent of our sins so that we can be restored into right relationship with God. And thankfully, God gives us his spirit and his word to carry out his command to rebuke. So, how do we start having uncomfortable conversations? There are many things to consider before, during, and after having an uncomfortable conversation. And I'm under no illusion that I've got it all down pat. But here are three things that I think are important for every uncomfortable conversation. Personal reflection, practice, and prayer. Number one, personal reflection. We've already established today that sin is deceitful. It lies to us. So it would be foolish for us to assume that we're an exception. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 7, verse 3 to 5. That's Matthew chapter 7, verse 3 to 5. And this is where Jesus says, Why do you look at the speck of dust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the plank of, out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Although we don't like to admit it, it's a lot easier to make observations about other people's lives and point fingers at their faults and failures, isn't it? There's no point denying it. It's a part of our sinful nature. In our pride, we think we're better than those around us. We become so fixated on how Corinne has this gossiping issue 
that we don't realise that we're actually gossiping about her ourselves to someone else. Before confronting anyone about their sin, we must first examine our hearts and repent of the sin in our own heart. Some questions you could ask yourself might be, what's happening in my own heart? In what way might I be struggling with the same issue? What's my motivation behind rebuking this person? Not only does personal reflection ensure that your rebuke isn't hindered by your own hypocrisy, but it also protects you from acting out of self-righteousness, which would be dishonouring to God. Personal reflection and repentance help us to approach our conversations in humility and love for the other person. Number two, practice. Practice makes progress. Yes, you might start off beating around the bush or stumbling on our words, or you might even walk away from your first rebuke feeling like it went really badly. But just like you can't become an amazing volleyball player or pianist or, yeah, or amazing astronaut overnight, uh, mastering the art of uncomfortable conversations takes time and intentional practice. So, you might find it helpful to write out what you want to say or talk it out to a trusted friend beforehand. Practice active listening by leaning in and feeding back on what the other person has just shared. So, you might restate what you've just heard the other person say. You might say, oh, so it sounds like you were frustrated by, this, by what the other person this did. Show through your facial expressions and your body posture that you empathise with them. So don't be standoffish with your arms crossed and think that with this arrogance of thinking that you know better. Show them that you're open. Show them that you care through your non-verbals. Ask curious questions to seek understanding. And this might look like saying, I wonder how you might have felt when, when, yeah, when the other person did that to you or how you'd feel in their position. I wonder how your friend might have felt when you said that to them. I'm curious to know whether there might be something else going on in your heart. Why do you think you responded that way? These are just a few examples of how you could curiously ask questions, but the key is you're asking in gentleness and in humility and out of love for the other person. And you're aiming to seek understanding. Taking five deep breaths and counting to 10 while you hold your tongue will help you to practice being quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Practice pointing each other back to Jesus in your everyday conversations. Ask each other, what have you been struggling with recently? How has God been working in you to shape you in Christ-likeness? What has God been teaching you lately? And how can I pray for you?
And who knows, maybe through this conversation, your friend might end up confessing her sin to you, and that will save you a rebuke. Bonus. <laughs> um, practice clothing every conversation with love, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Practicing these things form a trustworthy foundation for when uncomfortable conversations are needed. And as you have more and more of these conversations, you'll become more ready for them. Practice makes progress. Number three, prayer. No matter how much we practice or how many conversations we have with someone, only God can change hearts and make them holy. So there's no surprise that prayerfulness should come at every stage of our uncomfortable conversations. Before rebuking someone else for their sin, first come before God yourself and remember who he is. God is holy and just and rightfully punishes the sin of those who dishonor him. So we need to prayerfully examine our hearts and confess our sin to him. And as we do that, we need to remember that he's not harsh with us. In Matthew 11, verse 29, Jesus says that he's gentle and lowly. He has compassion on the lost and wayward. He's tender-hearted and patient. And he delights when sinners come running back to him into his warm embrace in repentance. He draws near to the broken. And in his grace, he welcomes us rebellious children back into his warm embrace. As we re prepare to rebuke someone, pray that you would imitate Christ. Not only is it important to pray for wisdom and courage to speak the truth, pray for your posture towards the other person. Pray for the same humility, gentleness, and compassion that Christ first demonstrated towards you. After removing the potential plank in your own eye, pray for the sister in Christ that you're going to rebuke. Ask the Holy Spirit to be working in their heart. Pray that they would be receptive to the hard but honest words you're going to say. More, to, more importantly, pray that they would respond in humility and repentance so that they too will acknowledge their sin, confess it to God, and trust that Jesus' sacrifice is sufficient. It is enough to make them holy. Pray that your sister in Christ will be kept from falling into the unforgiving depths of shame and despair, and instead cling on to the hope that God will fulfill his promise to bring about the good work that he began in them, so that on the day that Jesus Christ returns, they will be presented as pure and blameless and holy. Ultimately, pray for God to graciously work in and through your conversation and trust that he will be glorified no matter what the outcome is. So no matter how much you think you've stumbled or, or, yeah, or the conversation has gone badly, trust that God is still in control and he is the one that's working in you and in the person that you've spoken to, and he will be glorified. So, 
How do we start having uncomfortable conversations with each other? Through personal reflection, practice, and prayer. This morning, we re-established that the goal of biblical friendships is to grow in holiness as we love God and one another, as we anticipate Christ's return. We've seen how important uncomfortable conversations are because holiness matters. We've seen why we need each other, because sin lies to us. We've been reminded of our responsibility to rebuke one another with the hope of repentance and restoration. And we've explored how personal reflection, practice and prayer will help us in our uncomfortable conversations. So, you're back at lunch with your friend. What if it isn't just a piece of food stuck between her teeth? What if she's just spent the last 10 minutes bad-mouthing and judging the high school friend that's sitting at the table behind you. What are you going to do? It may be uncomfortable, but it'll be worth it. Sisters, let's pray. Our dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a holy and just God and you punish sin. Um, We are sorry that we are broken people that our hearts are a mess. But we thank you, Lord, that you are tender-hearted and you are gracious towards us. And we thank you that you have first saved us and restored us into relationship with you and brought us to repentance. We pray, Lord, uh, that you would help us in our weakness to have the boldness to have uncomfortable conversations with our sisters in Christ who are also on the same journey with putting off sin and putting on holiness. We thank you that holiness matters to you and that you have promised to make us holy and that you will present us holy on the day that Jesus returns. So until then, help us to grow in holiness, to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength and to love one another as we seek them to be made holy through our uncomfortable conversations. We pray all this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Cool. Thank you, ladies. I think we're going to have a little bit of a break now, and then we're going to come back for, to actually put some of what we've learnt into practice. So we'll leave it at that for now. So have a toilet break, have a drink. There's a few snacks in the back table and I'll get us to come back together when the time comes. Uh, And yes, on your seats, you guys should now have another handout, um, which has, I think, six, five, six scenarios on it. Um, Yeah. And yeah, I think the beauty of of being together um, this morning and being challenged by to have uncomfortable conversations is sometimes it can still be easy to kind of, oh, in theory, this sounds good, this might be a good thing to do. Um, And I think it's actually really important for us to to practice it in this safe space. Um, So, over the, we're gonna have around 20-ish minutes for you guys in your small groups, I want you guys to split into smaller groups. So either in pairs, so it'll either be pairs or 
threes, that you guys will choose one of the following um, scenarios on your handout. Um, discuss first how you would go about having the uncomfortable conversation um, in light of what you guys have heard this morning. Uh, and then do a little bit of a role play and practice um, having the uncomfortable conversation. Um, so one of, yeah. And then afterwards, have a little bit of a debrief and feedback of how you think the conversation went. Um, yeah, or if you have a real, um, yeah, if you have a real scenario in your own life that you'd actually like help with, um, then by all means you can make up your own scenario and, um, yeah, and practice that then. <laughs> I'll probably draw our conversations back. Um, and I hope, I hope that was helpful um, for you guys to, yeah, to be looking at different scenarios and be like, oh yeah, actually maybe someone did actually come to mind um, in, for different parts of this scenario. Um, but if you haven't had a chance to actually practice it or that wasn't enough time, don't, don't worry, there's lunch afterwards, you guys can continue on there. Uh, but I guess I just wanted to share, um, because some of these, um, yeah, some of these scenarios might have been like, oh, that, that's a nice hypothetical thing. Um, but some of these scenarios, I'm like, actually, I've been through that. Um, and particularly, um, scenario two, your friend tells you that she's just started dating a non-Christian. Um, I think that question might have, like some of us, it might have made us feel uncomfortable. Um, but I think I really think it's an important question because it is, a, it is a rebuke that people have had with me. And I am so grateful for that. So, um, yeah, one, two, three years ago, or even actually, no, just last year, I was really struggling with my singleness. Um, and so I, yeah, was looking at this, there was a particular friend that I'd been friends with for, since grade 10, um, who wasn't a Christian, but who did go to church, um, that, yeah, we started to hang out a little bit more. Uh, and in my mind, I was like, this is just a friendship. Um, we may have had feelings for each other when we were in grade 10, but this is just a friendship. Um, he, yeah, so we went on jogs together. We did all of these, and we shared a little bit deep, like we shared deep things with each other. In my perception, my attitude was, well, I'm the only, I may be one of the only Christians in his life that I'm actually, well, even though he's going to church, nobody's actually asking him about his walk with God. So at least I'm doing that. If I wasn't in the picture, then maybe... Yeah, maybe he wouldn't even be thinking about God or Christianity. So I kind of justified, um, yeah, I justified my actions um, by being like, this is, I may be the only person in this life to actually share Jesus with them. Um, and yeah, I probably, I built an unhealthy, um, probably emotional intimacy that was actually more than friends. Um, and during this time, I was obviously torn, like, or like, because I knew in my, like, I knew that I maybe had a hint of, oh, this, I shouldn't be doing this. Um, and maybe I'm just lying to myself, but I'd be able to justify my way out of it. But I'm so grateful for my close friends, um, yeah, who, who I was sharing honestly with, um, that, yeah, there are moments where I was like, I'm torn. I feel like maybe I am attracted and I do want to have a relationship with him. And there's times where I really just don't know what to do. And they would be like, yeah, actually, that's really hard. Um, and single, yeah, being single and seeing everybody else 
it seemed like everybody else was getting engaged and into relationships or married left, right and centre, it gets really hard. Um, so to have them empathise with me um, and to actually share in that struggle together was great. But then to have them gently point me back to, but Jane, where, how is this impacting your walk with God? Um, if, the, if you know, like, and this is what I already knew, if, I, if, if, dating, if the intention of dating is for marriage, then how can I be considering dating somebody who doesn't live with Jesus as, Lord, as their Lord and King? How are they going to lead me to Jesus? So even all of these things, even though I knew all of these things, to have somebody else from the outside point that out and bring that to my forefront again, again and again, um, was hard, was uncomfortable, but I'm so grateful for that. Because, yeah, because it meant that me and that, and that the guy that I had a not so great, yeah, the unhealthy almost dating sort of relationship. We were essentially dating without the label um, to it. When it finally ended and we drew the line and we said, actually, this is not helpful and actually had that distance, it felt like well, what I imagined to be a breakup, um, but actually revealed to my heart all along I was just trying to find the security in this relationship with this guy um, to feel known and loved and, yeah, known by him and accepted by him and have fun with him instead of actually finding that security and that significance and satisfaction in my relationship with God. Um, and it, yeah. Uh, so, and in, in because of that experience of knowing how hard it is, having people have those uncomfortable conversations and me praying for me, um, that has then helped me and equipped me to then have uncomfortable conversations with other people. So earlier this year, I was down in Sydney and a family, in a, yeah, one of my friends, also childhood friend, told me that she started dating a non-Christian. My heart broke um, because, yeah, I was like, I know how hard it is and I know that the temptation is strong. Um, but she was so, her responses were, but I'm the only Christian in his life. Maybe he'll come to Jesus. I believe that God is powerful. And yes, we do believe all of those things. Um, but just because we believe those things doesn't mean that we have to be in a romantic relationship with that person. We can involve others, we can be friends, and we can point them to Jesus in other ways. Um, and yeah, my friend even said, I, I, I expected you to give me, to say all of these things. I expected you, uh, if I was in your shoes, I'd say the same thing. What are you doing? I didn't say those words. <laughs> but but she, her response was like, yeah, I'd ask you, what are you doing? Where is Jesus in your life? Um, and how is, is this actually going to help you towards him or away from him? Uh, so I'm still praying for this friend that her heart will change, um, that she will be repentant. Um, but yeah, yeah, but I'm just grateful for the uncomfortable conversations that people have had with me, and I can trust God to be the one who works in, in other conversations um, yeah, with others. So, yeah, so that, um, yeah, nearly closes our time for today. We actually now have an opportunity for us to get back into our small groups um, and to ask each other what has challenged or encouraged you, and these conversations can last on to lunch. Um, but more importantly, is there someone that you may need to have an uncomfortable conversation with? 
feel free to share as much or as little as you want. Um, but yeah, and then pray for each other about these things. So we have around, I think, five or ten minutes to do this. And then Teresa will come, or Joe will come back up and close us in prayer. So we can do those things. Um, I hope everybody has almost finished praying. If you haven't finished praying, you can continue after the event. But I'm going to um, close in prayer for us as a whole. Um, yeah, and then we will finish the event that concludes the event. So let's bow our heads and pray. Um, Lord, our Father, we thank you for today. Um, Lord, we thank you for the word that was brought to us. Um, and you've reminded us that you love us so much that you would lay your life down for us. And even while we were enemies to you, Lord, we really thank you that um, because of this, we have a relationship with you, Father. Um, thank you, Lord, for Christ that shows us and exemplifies what it means to love sacrificially, Lord. Um, and as we leave church today, Lord, remind us of um, how we should be loving our sisters in Christ the same way that you loved us. Um, if we are going to get rebuked or if we have to re be rebuked, Lord, help us know and recognize that it's because holiness matters to you um, and that you want nothing for us to be more like Christ and to live for you, Father. Um, so we pray, Lord, that um, you continue to tear down any obstacles, tear down any walls that are um, holding us back um, from... Um, yeah, being rebuked or giving rebuke if we need to. Um, and Lord, um, yeah, we just pray for boldness and courage and wisdom from your Holy Spirit as we go through these situations. Um, and we pray, um, yeah, that um, we know that, um, yeah, it's because you love us and that we have each other as sisters to build one another up, uh, to encourage one another. So I thank you for the session today, Lord. Um, yeah, we pray that we may also be able to share what we've learned to the other sisters who aren't able to join us so that, yeah, as a, as a family of, of Christ, Lord, as a family um, in CPE Church, Lord, that we may grow to be women that love you and grow to be women um, after your heart, Lord. So we just thank you and commit, yeah, the rest of the afternoon, the rest of the year into your hands. We thank you so much for uh, giving us opportunities in the women's ministry to come together to read your word. Um, yeah, we just want to uh, pray all this in Jesus' most precious name. Amen.